listener production. This is Come Out Wherever You Are, a podcast about coming out told by the people who have done it. I'm your host, Sean Zepps, and because this is a podcast about coming out, it's only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps. I am a gay man who uses he, him pronouns. I first came out in early 2000. I was in a closet and I told my girlfriend that I was bisexual. And I most recently came out two days ago at a restaurant to a waitress. She didn't even ask. I was just a little intoxicated. And sometimes you just want to boom, beat him to the punch and let him know your beautiful story. Today, we're welcoming a brand new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family, Jesse. Welcome to the show. Can you introduce yourself? Tell us everything about your pronouns, uh, how you identify. Let us know when you first came out and if you can remember when you most recently came out. Okay. Hi, I'm Jesse Dutler. I'm a non-binary person. My pronouns are he, they. Um, The first time I came out, oof, well... I I came out to a friend who I wanted to be more than a friend, mm. who was a girl. Ooh. And I wanted to be completely transparent about who I thought I was at that time. And so I said, I don't know. I really like you. I also like boys. I hope that doesn't scare you. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, most recent time? Yeah. Do we, are we doing that? Yes. Um, when I got back from Sydney recently, I was gone for two months doing a show called Fangirls. And while I was there, I met two amazing non-binary people. And I was like, oh my God, I'm like them. That's me. That's me. And it was amazing. And they are beautiful and so supportive. So I came out as non-binary while I was in Sydney. And when I came home back to my normal job, I had to be like, oh, please don't call me dude. Makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm actually non-binary and I have that conversation with people. And yeah, I'm still having those conversations with people at work all the time. Oh, I'm sure. We have so much to unpack (laughs) just in those two answers. Right. Jesse Dutlow is an actor and a performer. They started to make a name for themselves on The Voice in 2017. And this year, they starred as Salty Pringle in the musical Fangirls at the Sydney Opera House. Just a heads up before we get into this episode. This might be a challenging one if you're a person of faith. We spend a majority of the episode talking about what it is like to be a queer person who grows up in a religious environment. And not all of the stories are positive. If that's challenging for you, maybe skip the episode and we'll see you on Friday. If you do hear it and you feel like talking to someone, you can contact Lifeline 24 hours a day on 13 11 14 or QLife between 3 p.m. and midnight on 1-800-184-527. Okay, here's Jesse. But I want to start at the beginning so that I can understand a little bit more about sure. you before we get to this first coming out story. Where did you grow up? Uh, Melbourne. I was Melbourne. born here. And so when you think back to your childhood in Melbourne, I know that there are so many different pockets of it. Um, Was it a place that you thought of as diverse and accepting of people who were different? Or when you were a kid, was it like straight and white? Um, Well, yeah, to a certain, to to mostly a straight and white space. I grew up in a Christian school. I went to church every weekend. Mm. And, you know, my parents are both South African immigrants. They came here in the 80s. And um, we've, we've always kind of been the, 
the diversity family in the church. Yeah. Not that um not that there weren't others, but like that's kind of how it felt growing up. So yeah, I've I'd never had any queer representation around me. Mm. Um I think for for my little world, I think you know, me and my sibling are like pioneers yes. and it, it has been really scary at times just to exist. Great. <laughs> Did that answer your question? Absolutely. It more than answers my question because it gives me even more questions to ask, which is always a good sign. I love your brain, Sean. <laughs> I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, so yeah. a lot of the questions that I have for you are going to be projecting and chucking directly at your face. No, I love this. <laughs> I love it. It's just probably one of the more interesting and compelling kind of stories within our community, right, is this faith that shapes yeah our knowledge and understanding of the world long before we even understand our sexuality. 100%. So the chicken or the egg, uh, what came first, realizing you were different or hearing that people who were different were sinners? Um, It wasn't even, I can't even say that um, the sinner kind of conversation happened for me. I just knew that it was bad. Okay. You know, because bullies would call me gay. Um, actually, my earliest memories in church uh, of being taunted were actually uh, this one boy targeting me and my brother and saying, you're gay. Actually, no, you're girls, so you're lesbians. Mm. And didn't know what any of those words meant. I was six. Wow. So I, um, but I knew that it felt bad. Yep. You know, I knew that it hurt me. Um, to be treated that way. So I think from an early age, I had this association with queerness and like sadness, you know? Mm. Um, and that definitely was used against me in my adolescence and early adulthood. I've never heard it articulated that way and it's really powerful. I think it's hard for people who maybe aren't queer mm. to understand that oftentimes the labels are used at us long before we've even thought about sex. Six years old? Six? Six no, years old? No six-year-old. I mean, well, very rarely would a six-year-old be thinking about sex other than, you know, the normal questions about how babies are made and stuff. Yeah. Um, absolutely not. No. no. I, I knew, I, at that age, I, I did know that I liked boys and girls and had probably kissed a few of each by that age, to be quite honest with yeah. you. But, um... No, absolutely not. We're still figuring out what the world is and who we are. Like, exactly. At 16, let alone six. For a lot of people who find out that they like one gender, that's obviously difficult. But at least it's a little more black and white. Like, they can yeah. work through that. For people who are liking both, I imagine you sat in an even more confusing space. Tell me a little bit about what it's sure. like to be young and be attracted to two genders. What did it feel like was going on in your head? Um, for me, it felt like I was some kind of, like, creature. <laughs> uh, I, I would say, I'm, when I was a teenager, I would say, I'm straight, but then, like, maybe on a full moon, I get a gay urge. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, like, some kind of werewolf creature is kind of how I felt. Um, I didn't know what bisexuality meant until I was, like, my early 20s. Um, that that was like its own category that I didn't have to be half something and half something else. Yeah, um, yeah super confusing as a teenager wow. in a Christian space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we've talked about that Christian space, but I want to kind of zero in maybe more on your family. Yeah. Um, were they the types of people who you would have imagined would have been supportive of that? Or were they very much kind of in the similar vein of like, this is not a good thing? 
My parents let me and my sibling just express ourselves so freely and beautifully as children and even as teenagers. I think, I think as soon as they realized that the world treated us with such contempt, yeah. that they wanted to protect us from that feeling. And so I think the only tools they had was to teach us to suppress our queerness. Mm. Um, so it was, you know, constantly feeling like dad pulling me aside and being like, just tone it down, just, you know, you're a bit loud or you're a bit much. Or take that bracelet off or maybe don't wear that. You know, we're going here and this person might be like, so it was very much censoring us to protect us. Mm. Um, and, and obviously they were being taught the same things that I was being taught about sexuality, about queerness and what the Bible says about that. And so I think they were just trying to figure out how to raise two people that were clearly queer yeah. with love and try to, try to protect them, but also like protect them in an in eternal sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the Bible has this crazy scope of like, when you die, you, will you inherit the kingdom of God and will you go to heaven? And so I think they were just trying to juggle all of these balls. Um, I think they did their best. I, I don't really hold it against them. I love my parents. I think they're doing their best. You're so beautiful and articulate and empathetic. I think for a lot of people who grew up in the church, they have a lot of blame uh, and it's at the yeah. hands of their parents more than it is at religion because, you know, religion... Can... Oh, I blame the religion. <laughs> Child, they, like, they truly were doing their absolute best and I love them and they love me, mm. you know? I think we're just still having to deal with those... We're still having to deconstruct with yeah, them. Exactly. Because they have two adult queer children and that's a lot for people who have, you know, been raised in a, in, a, in a setting that says that's not okay. And there's a lot of shame for them as two people who raised two queer people. Do you know what I mean? Of course. There was, I think, a lot of shame put on them. Like they were doing something wrong as parents where all they were really doing was letting us exist so talk to me about your relationship to faith growing up as far as sexuality is concerned. So did you enjoy church? Was that something that uh, brought you joy when you were growing up? Absolutely. I loved it. Sometimes I still miss it. Mm. Um, I, I, there were always negative aspects of things, but I think church is where I learned to sing and had my first experiences performing. And I think, yeah, I had so much fun as a kid. Uh, we grew up in, in, the, in the Anglican church, okay. which to be honest, I don't really know what any of that means anymore. But um, <laughs> um, I had a great experience. It, yeah. It's tricky, I guess, for other people to unpack this, but I want to just like stop and, and explain. There are so many aspects that are created to make the experience of church better. And I don't know if it's manipulative, but I, I believe it is Ooh. a little bit. <laughs> everyone enjoys the beauty of song and everyone specifically yeah. having beautiful hymns sung around you in gorgeous harmony. And then the beautiful smell that comes off from the candles and the gorgeous stained glass windows and mm. every aspect of the experience of being welcomed into a church by a familiar face and a community that greets you. Fundamentally, all those things are good. Yeah. They make you feel good. They do. And when you rip that away, when you have to kind of compartmentalize it as an adult and the, the, the joyful experience of, of learning to sing, which is clearly such a huge part yeah. of your life and your profession now, and then side mm -hmm. by side with the negative narrative being thrown at your face, oh, mm -hmm. that's hard for an adult to unpick. Of course you would miss that. I totally get it. 
Yeah. Oh, sometimes I do. Mm. Um, it's but like coming to Christmas time, you know, this yeah. is the time of year where we would be rehearsing for our Christmas production and harmonies and everything and the band. And, you know, when I was 11, we moved to a Pentecostal church, which was just like huge band, big lights and staging and, you know, sometimes smoke machines. Yes. And like, it was, it was like, oh my God, I've always wanted to be in this space. Um, and, you know, absolutely. We can talk about it being manipulative to a certain extent. Um, but for me, it was just like an authentic space for me to connect with God and connect with people. And, mm. you know, well, for me, I, I interpreted it as an authentic space. It absolutely wasn't. But yeah, just for me personally, I think I connected with God in that space really in an authentic way. Yeah, yeah. that's beautiful. When did you first um, feel that you had no choice but to tell somebody how you were feeling inside? You know, when I came back from my Bible college experience, that was a two-year course at Hillsong oh. in Sydney. So I lived up there for two years. Wow. And I came back, I think I had realized that my crusade to kind of like de-queerify myself mm. had failed and that maybe that would be okay. Um, you know, maybe this is who I am and maybe that isn't the worst thing in the world. I still have this awesome relationship with God and I still feel very connected and I feel loved. Mm. So maybe this is okay. So I think I started having conversations with my brother around that stage. Gaz is my brother. He's three years older than me. Has acted as like a, my safe space to kind of put all of these pieces together. Because you have your queer identity and then you have the religion and, and your faith and, and they don't actually, they, the, the jigsaw pieces don't fit together. Yeah. <laughs> they actually don't. You have to, you have to find ways to, uh, you could either change your identity to fit it or you can change your beliefs. Mm. And so that's, this no longer became an option. Like changing myself was no longer an option. It didn't work. So I think in my early 20s, uh, I, I started to deconstruct my beliefs which was the most freeing thing ever. Mm. Um, and when I was coming up to my 25th birthday, I was like, I need to just make this really solid. I really need to have something that I can firmly stand on. And then I'll be ready to come out publicly. Mm. I'm mm. ready for everyone to know. And my brother gave me a book to read um, called Unclover <laughs> by Colby Martin. And it like went through seven different scriptures that were weaponized against me all my life yeah. and gave me new ways to interpret them and, and believe in them. And then I was like, okay, great. My 25th birthday is coming up. It's a quarter of a century. It's time. So I, yeah, by the time I got to my 25th, I was ready, but um, only because of that safe space that I had with my brother. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. Hugely powerful, transform like transformative. And we'll make sure to put the link to that book below because I think there are probably a lot of people yeah. who are like, can I get my hands on that one, please? Please, please do. I think anyone, even if you don't believe in, in the Christian ideas or in God, I think it's an amazing book to have in your arsenal to kind of, because you'll always come across people, especially if you're a queer person, you'll always come across a Christian who thinks they know you better than, mm. than you do. And it's really good to have something to engage with them. You're right. If you want to. 
you can always just walk away, which I do now. Mm. And I think it's important to like address a lot of queer people when they come to terms with their sexuality. And like you've said, realize that it can't be changed. The praying the gay way isn't working. The hooking up with the chicks isn't changing what's inside their body. Then they look at their faith and they go, is all of this true? Like, let me analyze that. Yeah. And where do I fit? And a lot of people will come to terms with the fact that what religion gives them and the good parts of the Bible Mm. and the strong center of Christian ideals that a lot of people do have, like my mother, are strong enough for them to continue to be who they are authentically, sexually, gender-wise, and then remain a part of the faith. And so understanding the scriptures so that you can defend yourself is a powerful weapon that we have the power to have. Or read those scriptures and come to terms with the fact that if those things are bullshit, then maybe some other parts of this are bullshit too. But both are options for you. You don't have to just walk away. And both can be true at the same time is what I'm learning. Both can be true. There's things in the Bible that just are wrong. Mm. They just are. Mm. (laughs) Like, and there are things in the Bible that have been twisted and, you know, like I said, weaponized with an agenda. And, you know, if you dig deep enough, you can get to a more authentic truth. But again, what is truth and all of that? So, (laughs) Okay, I did not go to Bible college, so I need you to fill in some blanks (laughs) for me. When you go to Bible college, what do you think your future is going to be? Does that mean that you're going to like remain and work potentially in the church or are you just going to remain faithful through whatever you do? It's it's either or or both. Okay. I hoped to be a worship pastor one day, like as my career. Mm. But I also had like dreams of being a musician and and writing and and touring and doing all of that, which in the Pentecostal world, like Hillsong, totally is, possible. is totally possible. Mm. Um, so that's what I did. I studied songwriting for two years there, and like I was learning to be a pop star, <laughs> essentially. And I, yeah, coming out when I finished Bible college, I was like, I released my first EP, um, my only EP. And I was getting ready to like, I went, I went on The Voice. I like did all these things to kind of like set up my career. And then yeah. I was also applying for jobs at churches. I didn't get accepted at any of them. But that's what I was doing. I was going to get a job at church and then to sing on the side. Wow. We've seen other examples of Hillsong performers or religious performers on singing competitions. And it's usually the songs through the lens of faith. Is there an expectation that all the work that you do afterwards is going to be faith-based? Was your EP faith-based? Yes, it was. On The Voice, though, I wasn't one of those people that went on there and sang like, Oh, happy day. Like, yep. I was singing Sam Smith and Guy Sebastian okay, and yeah. like, you know, pop music. I wasn't, I didn't really want to. I think maybe that's, maybe we're unpacking that. I actually didn't want to like be a Christian artist. I just wanted to be an artist. Mm. <laughs> but you did pick singers who always have a choir behind them. So you didn't walk too far away from oh the Oh my faith. God, you're so true. <laughs> That's right. We can't walk too far away from it. I get it. Come on, Maddie. <laughs> it is who we are at some point. Exactly. You know? <laughs> so your brother responded beautifully. He was a useful, powerful ally. Hugely. To you. And my brother is queer as well. Yeah. And is uh, uh, we call each other brother still. Because we're both non-binary, but that's just like how I know them. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So we said recently, I was like, do you still like the term brother? Because I do. And I actually still like the term son. It makes me think of like the son. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's a, like, a, I like that word. So I, my parents still call me son. And I still call my brother, brother. But yeah, we were looking at each other being like, 
Girl, look, it has been a journey, girl. <laughs> we have been through it all. So, um, yeah, we were just there for each other. We, I wouldn't still, I probably wouldn't still be around if it wasn't for, for my brother. I Definitely think it held me down. How did your parents react when you first told them uh, before you decided to speak your truth about being non-binary? Because you didn't mm. have access to it the first time you came out. But no, I did. When you first spoke to them about your sexuality, how did they respond? Um, they found out. They didn't. I okay. didn't tell them. Okay. So um, they found some things on the computer. Oh, and, investigatory um, journalists. Da, yes, da, 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 da. They were like, "What is this?" And we will. My brother was like, "Um, I don't know." And like. Yeah, so they knew, and like I said, we were so obviously queer growing up. Mm. Disney fiends, like we were obsessed with Disney princesses and dolls, and like we were just so. And not to say that like every uh, quote unquote boy who plays with dolls is gay or is queer, but like we were. So like it is what it is. Mm. You know, once they realize, oh, this is a real thing. You know, and they're starting to like actually talk about their attractions to the same sex or whatever. I think that's when it was like, oh, like everything can like we can handle this as a family and we'll pray about it and we'll just support you and you're going to be fine. Okay. You know, um, I think my parents, they also held on to the fact that like I still liked girls. So like there is still a possibility that they will end up in a heteronormative relationship and have we can have grandchildren and, you yeah. know, like I, I'm still a valid son <laughs> mm. in that sense, um, which I think the possibilities of that grow fainter and fainter day by day um, for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, just because the, like my worldview is constantly growing and I just think like being queer is so much fun mm. and I don't have to do anything. I don't have to have kids. I don't have to get married. Great. I love that. You know, we don't have to follow the same cookie cutter story that you've been taught you kind of have to do all your life. Yeah. But yeah, for my parents growing up in my in my teen years, it was very much like, how is it going? Let's pray. You know, I've had and 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 it wasn't always that lovely. Sometimes it was it was quite hard, especially my early 20s coming back and starting to feel okay about it. It was like, no, this gay spirit has to get out of our son mm. at times, you know? And that's just the nature of believing those things. Um, so we've definitely had some dark times as a family. I didn't talk to my dad for a while. And we kind of, well, we're in a much better place now. At least we talk. But um, there's strong boundaries there now. It's okay. like, there's just certain things that I don't need you to police about my life as an adult. Like, it's just not appropriate. And they get that. And I think we're growing and we're learning as a family. Definitely not perfect, as you mm, can tell. Sure. Can you provide some insight to people listening who don't understand yeah. about praying? Yeah. What, when you're a queer person praying, mm. what are you saying? What, what would your family or you be praying for as far as your sexuality is concerned? Yeah. Sex is a really, I mean, even outside of queerness, sex is a really hot topic for Christians. Mm. It's seen as like the most deadly sin. Yeah. So when it came to my sexuality, I think there was the sense that I had the devil in me or that um, the devil was attacking my bloodline or something like that. 
Um, so what what we would pray for was like essentially that the thoughts that I had about other boys or other guys would stop, and then I would just be able to be friends with people, and like I would just be able to be a quote unquote normal Christian man, um, and and be attracted to women only, and be able to you know marry one and have kids with one. That was essentially what we were praying for, and. And I felt so much shame and guilt and for a long time thought that that was coming from God. Mm. So I was like, God is telling me this is wrong. But like the more I unpacked that as an adult, I realized that's absolutely not the case. I'm only ever feeling love and positivity from God. All the other bullshit was coming from people that just didn't like me. Mm. So that's what we were praying for, that the devil would let go of me. The devil. <laughs> yeah. And when that did not work out for you, when mm. you kept praying the gay away and it did yeah. not come out, did you think that it would be possible to continue to have a faith? I'm just wondering, you seem yeah. to be still faithful. Like I can hear a part of you that yeah. has that beautiful part inside of you. And I'm wondering when you come to terms with this, does, does it force you to then look at your church and go goodbye forever? Or did you think I can still be loved by God and be this way? Oh, I 100% believe that I could still be loved by God. I could still love God and I could still be in church even post coming out. Oh. I think I had a lot of hope and it was maybe naive, mm. but I said, you know, when I come out, I'm just going to be part of the change. This has never happened before. A lot of people, I knew not a lot, but a few people that had come out and then left church. And I was like, I don't want to leave. I like it here. I really love what I get to do here and who I get to be here. So I'm going to stick around. Um, then when I actually did, and when I did come out, it just wasn't meant, I, that wasn't possible. Mm. It wasn't up to me. I was essentially kicked out of the church. Um, so I had to leave. It wasn't really a choice. Wow. I have to ask though, because you've kind of alluded to it, but I just need to know. I'm projecting here. Did you get asked to leave the church? Is that what happened? I wasn't asked to leave. It was made very hard for me to stay. Okay. Basically what happened was, so I did say that I led worship and mm. was leading in youth ministry. So these are very like visible parts of the church. You know, I was on stage. I was on, you know, in COVID, we were still doing church. I would still go there and, and sing. And it would just be like, we'd watch it on YouTube or whatever. So I was a very visible person in the community. And so when this happened, the reason a lot of emails were getting sent in about me, because people knew who I was and I was in a position of influence. So essentially what happened was two weeks after I came out, they told me that they were stepping me down from ministry that is, you know, singing and, and leading young people. And I obviously was very hurt by that. And, and I told them that I would not be able to stay. You know, how are you going to bench me? You know, I have all of these gifts that you say God has given me, but I'm not allowed to use them now because of who I am just inherently. So I felt like I was being punished for something, you know, that I hadn't even done yet. I think there were a lot of assumptions made about me as well, about my sexual activity, you know, and then they just... Instead of filling in the blanks, instead of making things really clear, they just were like, oh, no, bye. And, you know, 
you know, a month down the track after that, I think they were doing damage control and had me come back in and just have a chat, you know, so that we could leave on positive terms. Probably so that I wouldn't do things like talk to you about yeah, it. Yeah. And I just walked away from it feeling super gaslit, just like super misunderstood and really disappointed in the people that are supposed to be there to like shepherd you and take care of you. And I think I had seen behind the curtain of like what's really going on in church and how most of it is probably just decisions made about keeping bums in seats and money in the, you know, offering containers. And mm. uh, I think I just, I, I eventually walked away last year around Easter time. Easter Sunday was my last service and it was very emotional. And obviously Easter is a super emotional time, but um, that was my last time. And so I... I I also left, I left and I let everybody know that I was leaving and why. Yeah. Wow. Look at you now. Now you're leading worship at the Sydney Opera House. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a blessing. It's truly such, like, yeah. Very happy about where I am in life now. Mm. It's so fascinating to me because, you know, we were just talking about one part of your life. But when I think to Hillsong in particular and these beautiful oh groups of performing and singing that you see all on the internet yeah. and it's gorgeous. And you always see in the crowd a couple queer people. You know, I mean, I, oh, I, yes. it's stereotypical, but also <laughs> I can tell, you know, they're looking at me and they're giving me a wink and they're giving, they're, they're authentically expressing themselves. And that's the thing about worship when you're lost in worship, you lose your ability to consider other people's judgment. 100%. Right? I grew up yep. singing and dancing in church. And so I was thought of as that kid, right? People could see it in me, but I had mm -hmm. lost myself. Like I, I thought that was the point. And so sometimes you see those videos of those people and you think, look at you there being your authentic self. And then also on the other end, you hear that it is a homophobic environment and they don't yeah. feel very comfortable allowing people who are out to remain present because it goes so against the principles. And that's such a yeah. strange double-edged sword. Please be yourself. Give yourself mm -hmm. to us fully and authentically unless you're a homosexual and then please leave. Please leave or please change, mm. you know? I think if I didn't come out, if I didn't say it out loud, hey, I'm bi or whatever, I would have been allowed to stay <laughs> and continue to lead worship on stage and continue to lead young people. I loved leading young people. Mm. I, I mean, I, before acting, I was doing my master's in teaching. I truly love mentoring and being able to be a part of someone, someone's growth and someone's journey. That was mm. so much fun. And I would have continued to do that if I hadn't said out loud or typed and posted on social media that that's who I am. Because they all knew. Let's be, if we're really honest, they all knew yeah. who I was. Yeah. I, I, like I said, we were being authentic. We we're being authentic selves. I just wasn't coming in holding some guy's hand. Mm. I wasn't coming in holding anyone's hand because I just didn't think that I would ever be able to do that. So I wasn't coming in holding a girl's hand or a guy's hand or, you know, anyone else's hand. So, yeah, if I, if I had stayed quiet, I would have still been there. I would still be in church. I listened to a part of an interview that was uh, just had on Joe Rogan with an American religious right conservative Catholic man. And Joe was really sticking into him being like, what do you want them to do? Like, <laughs> what do you want gay people to do? Answer the question. And the guy was like, well, you know, 
everyone is given challenges in life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, gay people are thrown a challenge and they just, you know, they have to, all straight people are also given challenges, like being tempted outside mm. of marriage. I don't need to start, keep going with the accent. <laughs> it was pretty good, though. Um, but that was, I'm th- impressed. Thank you so much. But he was basically saying, and this is, I just thought it would be important for people to hear what it was like for us. They're not saying get out because you are. They're saying don't act on it. Don't yep. talk about it. Yep. Don't bring it into our face. You can, yep. you can wear a feminine top. You can put your pearls on if you want, but do not act on the sinful thoughts. That is literally what they're saying. You cannot yeah. love, do not love, not that way. You can't date, not that way. Yeah. And so I guess what Joe was getting at is forcing the man to admit, do not live a life of love. You can yeah. be here in the church. You can have a job. You can be a son and a brother, but you can yeah. never love. And that isn't possible, is it? Well, no, we're all hardwired to love. Mm. We need it. So it's cruel to do that to people. Um, and then it's, it's like even so much more cruel because it's all under the guise of, I'm doing this because I love you. Mm. So Christians will be like, even though you don't register this as love, I love you. I just don't want you to go to hell. Yeah. You know, if I didn't love you, I would just let you keep going the way you're going. And it's like, that's actually not love. No. If I don't register, as, if, it do, if I don't feel loved, guess what? I'm not loved. Hello? Exactly. Like, that, we, we know, what we know about love is that it's not this word that we throw around. It's how you make a person feel and what you do to someone mm. to show that. Exactly. So I've told people countless times, like, I'm sick of being gaslit that you love me. You actually don't. Mm. And they're like, oh. <laughs> I, I just really don't, I don't believe in, and anything anymore. But if Jesus was here, I just feel like he would love the gays. He'd come right up to us. Hello? He'd be so helpful. He'd be in our marches. It was it would it would not be about like pushing us down. It would be about yeah, like building an, us up. And that's also under the assumption that Jesus was straight, which I personally don't think he was. But no. um bless bless. I love him. <laughs> that's a part of the reason why I love him. Because I can I can see in the stories. Jesus was one of us. <laughs> mm, I've always thought the same thing. That's yeah, great right? to hear you reflect he's that He's just too beautiful to be straight. No offense, straight people. I think he's, I always thought, when I heard about non-binary, I was like, I, wonder, I think Jesus and God Ooh. is just a everything. Like a, oh, 100%. A nothing and an everything. I see it. You know? God is non-binary. That just makes so much sense. So when you came out publicly, you said you typed it. Did you immediately mm. uh, lose a large chunk of your religious cohort? Or were you able to remain friends with some people that were a part of your uh, religious upbringing? Very few people I'm still friends with. And even to the, even those people, we're still working through, like, can we, mm. can we still be friends? Do you know what I mean? Especially mm. when they still go to the church that I used to go to. Yeah. It's like there's this challenging thing that we're going through at the moment where it's like, we are family, like we've grown up together, but it's like, how do you how do you reconcile the two when something so awful has happened to one of your best friends, and then you just keep supporting the people or the organization that did that to them? Mm. So it's definitely a challenge, but um, for the most part, most people were really nice. You know, I didn't get any negative comments on my posts, which was really cool. Great. The the pastors at my church did receive a lot of mean emails. But in terms of my social media, I didn't lose a bunch of followers or anything. Most people were just like, 
oh yeah, like we know this about Jesse. Like, duh. Mm. It's really cool that they're saying it. And it, and it was on my birthday too. So not like, I don't think anyone really wanted to be like, happy birthday. I don't like that. See you in hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See like, you at the game. I don't think, I think maybe that was smart on my behalf to come mm. out on my birthday. Even though like, I, it wasn't a nice day because internally in our family, it wasn't a great day. Because um, I didn't give my parents a heads up that I was going to post that at all. Okay. And so they were super shocked. Um, and I think just like sad, you know, to hear people come up to them and be like, oh, I saw Jesse's Facebook post yeah. and not know what that meant. Sure. I excluded them from that, what that meant. And so I think there was just a lot of sadness there. So my birthday was essentially ruined. The birthday dinner was. Um, but we, we we got it back. Okay, good. <laughs> do you regret that? Do you wish you had looped them in? Or do you feel no, like that's what needed to happen? No, I don't regret it at all. I think they would have they they would have tried to stop me from doing it. Tried to convince me not to. And mm. I was ready to do it. Great. So that's the reason I, I didn't tell them. It wasn't to be mean and to be like, I'm doing this without you. It was just I needed to do it without them. Yeah. And I think I think I made the right choice looking back. Beautiful. When you look back at that that version of yourself who was a little nervous and a little scared and a little confused, but specifically through the lens of church, I'm really interested in what would you say mm. to little kids like that? Little you. I'd just say like, get ready. Like your worldview is what it is right now and it can change. It's okay that it will change. Just have compassion and grace for yourself. Like we're taught that as Christians, like grace and mercy and love and peace. And it's like, and even self-control, you know? One day you'll be, you'll have agency or you can step into that. You know, I think of, you know, the like fruits of the spirit. Yep. Self-control has always been weaponized against young people because it's like about what you, what you don't do. And stopping yourself from doing things that you shouldn't, you know, quote unquote, shouldn't do. I see it completely differently now as just about agency and, and being, in, being in control. Oh. And that's what I am now, you know? I'm not governed and ruled by shame and like what I, I just am. And I'm at peace with that. And it's really, really beautiful. So I would say to young people like, hey, I know that, this is your worldview right now and just be ready for it to change if you're, if you're willing and ready. And that maybe one day you will be ready to do it. I've had lots of young people say, I love that you got to do that. I don't think I ever will be able to. Mm. And I said, absolutely not. Like, it might feel that way now, but life's super long and one day you'll be ready if that's what you want to do. Mm. And I hope that that, that is what they want to do. If it means that it comes at a cost, and you lose some things, it's okay. You will gain a lot of things. So like I said before, I miss church sometimes, but I have gained so much mm. post-church. You know, even this, my new career that I get to do acting and I get to embody amazing characters on stages and, and, and entertain and, and touch people and tell stories. I wouldn't have been able to do that authentically a year and a half ago when I was still in church. One, I would have been too busy with church yeah. to ever go and do a gig or, you know. But I'm now in a space where I can do that. And I just, I hope for young people that are still in church or are in church and that's all they know, 
that, you know, as we grow and we develop, that we experience new parts of life. There's so much more to life. Oh, amen. I, uh, last question, because it's just a selfish one. As, li- as a little kid in church mm. who knows who they really are, but doesn't want to lose faith, doesn't want to yeah. lose God, doesn't want to lose community, is it possible to be queer and be religious? Oh, I just got emotional hearing you describe that. Um, I absolutely believe, I'm, I don't consider myself religious anymore just because I stepped away from the religious aspects of my faith, you know, going to church and being a part of all of that. So I don't have an answer to that. But I do have an answer that you can absolutely be queer and have a faith in God. So there are absolutely ways of making those two things coexist. Absolutely. Amazing. People are going to fall in love with you. Get ready for it. Where can they find you like online? And then second question is, what is like the next show that you're in if people want to see you in person? First of all, thank you. <laughs> you like me? You I'm really good. like me? <laughs> they really like me. Well, my name's Jesse Dutlow. So you can find me on Instagram at Jesse Dutlow. I'm also on Instagram at Follow My Parade, which is like where I express all my love for Disney and Marvel and nerdy things. Yes. And my next show, I'm so excited. I'm playing May in Anne Juliet at the Regent Theatre next year. Yes. Our first performances are in February and we're there till like July. So come down, experience the magic of pop music and Shakespeare. It's so good. And I'm really excited to be playing May, a non-binary, genderqueer, beautiful, beautiful person in the story. It's such an amazing show. Oh, fantastic. What a moment. We'll put the links below in the show notes so you can go down, tag, and give them a follow. Thanks so much. See you there. Thank you so much. Thank you for being open. Thank you for being vulnerable. Such a pleasure. You're really just such a gift. I hope more and more people hear you and your voice and your story. Thank you so much, Sean. I'm going <laughs> I'm so <laughs> emotional. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you. You too. Okay, we are back. How are you going? How are you feeling? If this episode left you wanting more information about our wonderful LGBTQIA plus alphabet, then you should check out Minus 18. They're Australia's LGBTQIA plus charity. They have heaps of resources on their website and they run trainings for workplaces and classrooms. Minus 18 are on all socials at minus18youth and their website is minus18.org.au. But Minus 18 isn't a helpline. So if you're looking for support, you can call QLife on 1-800-184-527 for free every day from 3 p.m. till midnight. If you're feeling anxious and not up to talking on the phone, they also have web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. Their number is 13 11 14. If you want to be a part of the Come Out Wherever You Are community, you can slide into our DMs on Instagram at Come Out Wherever You Are. You can also follow me at Sean Zeps. That's S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P-S. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me, Sean Zeps. Our lovely producer is... Lindsay Grain. Our executive producer is... Lemma Bacharia. And we can't forget our audio producer... Chris Marsh. See you soon. <laughs>